Well, it's so great to see all of you. For any of you who do not know me, I know the majority of you, my name is Kristen McWilliams. I've been a part of the Grove community for a handful of years. And though being a part of any church community will never be perfect because we're made up of human beings, my experience here in the past four years or so, it feels like home. And I'm so grateful for that. And so I'm so grateful to be able to share with people that I love and I'm doing life with and a couple of new faces as well. So thank you for this joy and delight and honor to be together today. We've been in this amazing series in Acts, and it's been so fun to see our hearts burning within us as we've been following the birth and the spread of the church. And there's been so many amazing things that we've seen the Holy Spirit and his power do through his people. And for today and the next three weeks after, we're going to pause that series. Don't worry, it's coming back. I'm ready to hear the end. I want to see what's going to happen, although I maybe do know what's happening, but I want to hear it from up front. So we will be back, but for today and the next three weeks, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. This book is such a special book. It's one that's very unique. It's four chapters. It's categorized. Scholars have gone back and forth. Is it a short tale? Is it a short story? Is it a novella? Is this a work of folklore? Is this um, a line in a lineage? And what we can see that's true is that though this story is so artistically written that it could be folklore or a tale, it actually is a true short story that is outlining the line from Ruth to not only King David, but then to Jesus. Also in this book that I think is amazing, we'll be in chapter one today, but before we get there, just a couple of other things about this book. It constantly shows the hand or the providence of God, but the narrator really is not the one talking about that. His clever use of the dialogue between the characters shows us God's said a word in Hebrew that I probably didn't put the right emphasis on, that it's hard for us to really translate into English because it captures these beautiful characteristics of who God is. His kindness to us, his involvement, his love, his mercy. In addition, this book talks about pain, something that we are familiar with. And shows us how through God's hand and through the interaction of his people that promise and beauty can come forth. This book also shows us the way that God can give these amazing systems and humans can carry them out to care for the foreigner, for the widow, for the one that's been forgotten. There's so many other things I could say about this book but for the sake of time, I'll let some of the teachers of the next weeks say more. But I encourage you, as Eileen said last week in the announcements, read this book. It's four chapters. It's a quick read. There's also some great resources online. Uh, the Bible Project on YouTube. There's a great seven-minute overview, some different commentaries, because there's just so many cool things that are happening that for those of us who like to geek out for stuff, you could do it for days. 
Before I tell you about Ruth 1, I want to give you an image to look at. So it should be on the screen now. Ah, there it is. Uh, thank you, Jason, for making me this image. But this is going to give us... Yeah, I love him. Um, this is going to give us an image of where we're going today in chapter 1. Um, so I'm not going to say too much about it. I'm going to let your mind wonder a little bit. And we're going to read from chapter 1. Okay, chapter 1 from the ESV says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the women were left, I'm sorry, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you would find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And where you are buried, I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also of anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is that Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Wow. 
That's a lot happening in one chapter and a lot of verses, but I really wanted us to behold the verses together because the things that happen and the flow that we see through that chapter, I think is really remarkable. And they're going to be our four points of today. I loved reading this chapter in the context of the book and in the context of the Bible and making some observations. Before I go any further, I gotta tell you a couple things about me. I love to observe. Like if you just put me in a coffee shop and let me just watch as people go by, like I would be perfectly happy. People are fascinating. Let me tell you what. I've seen some interesting things. And this started when I was young and I had an older brother who was far cooler than me and much older than me. And so he and his friends would hang out and I as the, you know, dorky younger sister would want to be a part of it. And so I would observe. Okay, that person did this went over well, this person did that, went over well, I'll do the same. Okay, great, so then you kind of find your way, people think you're funny or cool or whatever, and then patterns continue. I would watch, somebody would do something that was not received well, they were not cool, I'm not gonna do that. Someone would do something really dumb, they would get in trouble, I don't like being in trouble, I'm not gonna do that, and the pattern would continue. And I have to say, I was able to find my way in this group from observing and then stepping in accordingly. Now, I'm older, I've matured, I married someone much older than me, so I don't have to observe people and their cool patterns that are older than me because I got it. I got the golden ticket. And so I can just lean into that. Um, Thanks, Jace. But what I'm grateful has stuck with me is that I love to observe, and I love to observe Scripture. You see, when I read Scripture and I can take time to make some observations, then it causes my mind to ask questions, and those questions cause me to wrestle, and that wrestling causes me to go back to my community, my family, my discipleship group, friends here at the Grove, and have discussions, which sends me right back into scripture to try and find out more of the context and the background and where God's moving in this, which causes the process all over again. So I'm grateful that that part has continued in me. And the observations that I've seen in this chapter are our four points for today. One, pain. Two, love. Three, purpose. Four, promise. Okay, if you're somebody who's like Rachel or anyone else who's like the grammar guru, you're crying out inside saying, but there was a chance for alliteration. And I know, I know, there was. It could have been pain, passion, purpose, promise. However, passion doesn't serve the purpose I need it to today. So it had to be love. So let's all collectively mourn together the loss of the alliteration. It has died, gone into the ground, will not be resurrected, unlike other things, and we are back to our four points. Love, I'm sorry, pain, love, purpose, promise. The first point, pain. It's no surprise, if you were awake for the reading, that we can see pain evident in this story. The story starts out by saying, in the time of the judges, which we don't have time to get into today, but already holds a lot of hard things that were happening. That's something that you can research on your own time. But if you read the book of Judges, which comes right before Ruth, um, 
There's some hard things. And so a famine is now on the land, and Elimelech and his family goes out. This could be a sign of God's people breaking from a covenant with God and disobeying, and so a famine has been allowed. This could just be a natural disaster. The narrator doesn't spell it out for us. Either way, Elimelech, his wife, his two sons leave in this painful place. They get to Moab with hope of food and fullness and new life, and Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi with her two sons. Now, her two sons marry Moabite women, and there is some hope for the bloodline continuing. But then, more pain, verses 1 through 5 are pretty much all pain. They die. Loss upon loss upon loss. Pain so evidently woven throughout this story, just in the first five verses. And then you jump to uh, 6 through 14, where the women who are left, the survivors, are having this interaction back and forth. And Naomi is saying, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, but you go back to your families. And she gives them this beautiful blessing and sends them. And they start weeping and they say, we won't go with you. Like, we want to stay with you. So there's this pain of this little family unit of the women that are now about to be broken apart. And even this pain of Naomi, or maybe it's a bitterness, maybe both, where she admits that there's something she wants to give, but she cannot. She only sees one option as the redemption to this story, and she knows that she cannot give it. And so she painfully says, even if I could have children right now, are you going to wait for them? Orpah listens to this tale, and she goes forward. But Ruth, she listens to Naomi speak, and something really interesting blossoms. Our second point, love. From this great place of pain that these women have endured side by side, we see love blossoming. Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going to stay. Orpah did the first time, but then she did ultimately leave. We don't know what happened with her story. My hope is that Naomi's prayer and blessing for her carried out, and she did find a new husband. We don't have that information. But what we do have is Ruth, who after listening to her mother-in-law said, I'm not leaving you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God and your people my people. And where you die, I will die. And where you were buried, I will be buried. And let God Yahweh, the Lord, do so severely to me if anything but death separates us. Wow. What a proclamation of love. What a loyalty. What a commitment that we see from Ruth to Naomi. It's amazing to see that kind of loyalty and commitment because if we're honest and we step out of Ruth's story for a second and over into modern times, we don't see that kind of loyalty very often in marriage, in families, in friendships, in anything. And she is committing her life 
out of love to Naomi. And so she follows her, and from the pain that sprouted into love, this love caused her to turn towards Naomi instead of away and back to her old life. She turns towards Naomi and walks to her new life in Bethlehem, which brings the third point, purpose. The alignment of love between Ruth and Naomi opens up the way for something I doubt Ruth could have even imagined in that moment. You see, she was partnering with Naomi and Naomi's God. This God who, again, the author, the narrator is not telling us about explicitly, but we will see in parts of this chapter and as we go forward in the book, is involved deeply in their lives. His providence, his hand, his love, his guidance is evident. And she's aligning with him and his purpose. What she doesn't know, but we have the honor of knowing now, is that her purpose would open up to being a part of, as I said before, the line of David, which would be part of the line to Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah. This beautiful aligning opened up a purpose where a foreigner, an outsider, someone that was the other, someone that was over there was brought in and grafted into the line that would lead to Jesus. What a purpose. That gets me excited. In addition to Ruth's purpose, we see an interesting moment with Naomi. Naomi has an opportunity to turn towards or turn away when she comes back into Bethlehem um, in 19 and 20 and 21, where the townspeople are like, oh my goodness, is that Naomi? I don't know if it was because she just physically had looked sorrowful. Perhaps it was because she was still in the clothing of mourning. Whatever it was, there was something about her, maybe this newfound bitterness, where she was changed and they took notice. Now, this is an interesting moment, I think, of purpose because it's not a joyful one, but it plays an important role. So when they say, is that Naomi? And she says, call me Mara because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She, in her honesty, is actually turning towards the community. She could have said nothing. She could have said a really polite, cliche thing and went on her way, plastered on a smile. She didn't. She was honest. She was vulnerable. She took a risk. She shared. And I think as we see as the story unfolds, that the purpose is really amazing because now the townspeople are watching her. She has said something about God. God has dealt with me bitterly. She makes a couple other things that she says about him, which theologically, did she have an accurate view of God's involvement? Maybe, maybe a piece of it. Maybe she had not even a piece of it. I'm going to let you and David have a really good coffee and conversation about that and like wrestle through what was going on there theologically. But whatever the case, she's honest. She admits her pain. And because of that, this purpose opens up where people get to watch. 
and oh, what they're about to watch. I mean, in the next chapters that are coming up, it's beautiful. It's remarkable. This purpose opened, again, from a turning towards instead of a turning away. When we're leaning into our purpose, when Ruth leans into her purpose, when Naomi even is leaning into this sorrowful purpose, we see fourth point promise open up. You see, in 22b, this last little seed that the narrator is planting in this chapter says this, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. If you were someone that hadn't read the rest of the book, you might think, huh, what an interesting little observation that the narrator is including. Why is that there? Does the narrator particularly like barley? I'm so glad you've wondered because actually this is a seed of what's to come and the way that Ruth and Naomi are about to be redeemed by the kinsman redeemer. More on that in the next few weeks. But just a little sneak peek, the kinsman redeemer being a picture for how Christ covers and redeems and provides for us, we see in the character of Boaz. Soon to come, more on that. This process of pain, love, purpose, promise that we see in this first chapter, interestingly enough, is ending with barley harvest, I think is a really cool picture for what happens even in a planting season. Through pain and toil, the seed is planted. It's hard work in the sun going into the ground. It feels barren and like there's nothingness and the seed is covered over. But then through the love and the care of the people tending to the seed and from our Heavenly Father that provides rain and sun, this seed sprouts forth with a purpose of being something that will one day bear fruit with that promise of being able to be a part of this bigger story and provide. And so as we look at this beautiful image that we see from Ruth, it can be easy to say, well, then what does that have to do with my life? Is this a formula that I can follow for my life? In chapter one, I'm going to have all of my pain, but by two and three and four, it's all going to be worked out and redeemed? Maybe. Probably not. Sorry to say. But there is some cool, there are some cool truths we can pull out from this for our own lives. In my story, in our story as human beings, we experience pain. I don't have to say much to that because I can see a few of you already nodding. You know, any time on this earth has some pain. And we could go back and kind of argue to say, well, is it because we felt love? And any time you love, there is opportunity for pain? Or is it because there has been pain in the world that we really want to find love? I can see either. But whichever way you think, pain is evident. We look around. Things that just break our hearts every single day. So what do we do as people who are experiencing this pain? We turn towards. And we look for opportunities for love. Because those who have 
experience great pain, often have really amazing capacity for great love. And as I said before, if you love, you are opening the door for pain. But that's what real life looks like. And as we go through this kind of process back and forth of love and pain, I know for me, when I'm in pain, I want to isolate. I just want to pull back. And as I do that, it's easy for dark thoughts to settle in and to be pulled away from this greater purpose that I'm invited to because I'm isolating and I'm by myself. But when I can turn towards in love the people who care about me and are in the real hard things with me, we can live out this purpose together. This purpose of saying, yes, I have been impacted by pain, but I've also been impacted by love. And because of that, I am going out from my place of isolation into my place of community, out to the world to bring forth the promise, the seed of heaven, God's great news. Because though there's not a formula for our life, we can count on this formula, that when God created the earth, he made it beautiful, he created Eden, he put himself and Adam and Eve in this place where they could walk together in the coolness of the day and talk and be in community, and there were amazing trees that were provisioned for food, and there were animals, and they got to name them and all these cool things. But then, because there was choice, humankind turned away from God and sin entered, and so pain, as God looked at the world and said, it wasn't supposed to be this way. This was not how I created it. It was not meant for my people to be people of pain and to suffer. My world was not supposed to be subjected to all of these terrible things, and so God experienced pain. The Bible talks about the way that our sin pains him, but that Pain didn't stop him from doing anything else. Along with his pain was his great love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love motivated him and propelled him towards us, not away, with the purpose of saying, sin has brought death, but I will bring life. As beautiful as Ruth's, Ruth's words were to Naomi, Jesus is to us are even more powerful. Where you have sinned, I will pay for it. Where you deserve death, I will take it and give you life. Where you deserve to have nothing, I will give you everything. Where you go, I will go. And I will love you with a love that is unlike anything else. And because of God's pain, love, purpose of defeating sin and death on the cross, we have this promise, this seed of hope of what's to come in heaven and what we can bring from heaven to earth. I think it's amazing that this is the God we get to partner with, that as he is working, we get to be working also, that just like Naomi had choices she was allowed to make, we get to as well. I'm going to have the image back up on the screen. And as you're looking at it, I just want to give you a couple of questions for the believer today that's in here. 
where are you noticing these seeds of promise? Maybe even in a place of pain. Where are you noticing the seeds of promise, the seeds of heaven, because of what God is doing? For the skeptic, what is your observation of the God of Ruth and soon to be Boaz and Obed and David and Jesus? What do you think of this God? What questions are sprouting up in your own heart? Ruth, in chapter one, had this unbelievable story that's just going to open into more. And we have this one unbelievable story that we have here on earth where we get to connect to all that God is doing. I'm going to leave this image up, and I'm going to pray. And if you want to pray with your eyes open, feel free. You can use that as a place to direct your vision. If you want to pray with your eyes closed, you can do that. But if you would pray with me as we seal in this time together. Lord, thank you for what you did in Ruth's story. Thank you for what you're doing in ours. And thank you when... Nothing else makes sense. You are consistent in running with purpose towards us. God, as things stirred in our hearts because you use your word, because your word is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword, would we take those stirring, those questions back to you in a place of intimacy and back into community with people we trust? Thank you for what you do for us. Thank you for how you partner with us. Thank you for your great love. You're going to be praying. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL. And check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.